Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know us, know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from, for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we uh, do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have you who have a knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Church at Nine. My name is Mike, and good to have you, especially if you're uh, joining us for the first time. Um, I hope you had fun uh, doing the breakout rooms and getting to meet someone new just this is slightly embarrassing but I've um in lockdown grown these Asian sideburns and I think they look pretty knowledgeable so um uh, <laughs> mercy thinks otherwise um if you're uh just tuning in this week for the first time uh, we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians and um you've joined in an interesting week because um, previously, every topic that Paul sort of talked about in this book has been super relevant. And, you know, it's like it's super meaningful. He's talked about marriage. He's talked about singleness, relationships. He's talked about church unity. But you would have noticed that in today's passage, the topic that he now introduces, it says there, um, food offered to idols. Food offered to idols. Um, for us, you know, like modern, trendy Australian people like you and me, that sounds like a very sort of foreign topic. Because um, if you think about um, food as a modern person, you know, we have questions like, um, you know, is this chicken nugget sourced from a free-range chicken or a caged chicken? Um, or, uh, you know, does this cupcake contain gluten or dairy or soy? because all my children, they're allergic to everything. And those are sort of our questions. 
when it comes to food. But for the first century Corinthian church, uh, one of the big issues that they had to deal with was this issue, food offered to idols. And, and their questions were more like, um, you know, now that I'm a Christian, can I go down to the local pagan temple and eat the food that's been sacrificed to a god? Um, uh, or, uh, you know, Derek's, he's having a dinner by eight and he's got those um, sausages with the bacon wrapped around it, um, but he bought it at the pagan meat market. So can I still eat those? Is that okay? It's those sorts of questions which were big for the Corinthian church. Now, before you sort of tune out, because it's not relevant for you, um, one of the reasons it's so important for you and I to think about this, and, and part of the reason why Paul spends chapters 8, 9, and 10 speaking about food offered to idols, um, is because it's one of those issues which is a little bit grey. You know, it's, it doesn't have a straightforward answer. You know, um, you know, previous chapters like chapter 6, you know, Paul talked about sexual immorality and he says that's a clear no-no. Christ has purchased you at a price. Glorify God with your body. But when it comes to food offered to idols, it's one of those issues which it's not always straightforward and clear-cut. So there's much wisdom in today's passage about how to engage and relate and interact with each other when issues like this one pop up. So uh, I'm going to ask for God's wisdom as he helps us to do that. Let's pray together. Um, our Father God, we thank you for uh, this um, new chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we do ask for your wisdom as we listen to the Apostle Paul speak and give his spirit-filled advice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What Paul does before he sort of jumps into the actual sort of issue, he sort of sets some groundwork. He sets some groundwork. So he says um, this at the start of the chapter. Come with me, chapter 8 and verse 1. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that um, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he ought, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Um, so before we tackle the issue, Paul's saying, you know, when it comes to issues like this, um, he sort of agrees with them. So we, we know that when it comes to idols and that they're nothing, we all possess that knowledge. Um, but, um, but that kind of knowledge it just, it's self-inflating knowledge for the sake of knowledge. So he's not saying um, knowledge is not important. He's saying that knowledge for the sake of knowledge, it just inflates and it makes you feel more important than you actually are. No, love is what builds up. Um, I'm sure this is not you, but have you ever been part of a, a growth group and um, someone puts up their hand and they start to tell you everything that they know about the Bible. And, uh, you know, you sort of nod your head because it sounds right. But, you know, you don't feel particularly encouraged or edified. In fact, inside, you're probably thinking, what a know-it-all. 
What a, what a smarty pants. That Mike Chin, what a know-it-all. And Paul's speaking against that kind of knowledge, knowledge for the sake of it. The real marker, he says, is love. Love for God. When it comes to issues like this one, it's not just how much you know or what you know, but actually that, that knowledge expressed through love for God and love for one another. How do you know someone is genuinely known by God? Well, it's the way that they love God and love other people. Um, I'm always encouraged when an older, mature Christian takes a younger Christian to a, a, a conference. And often it's not because they don't know about the topic. They often have a view on that topic, but they go there, number one, because they know that they don't know everything there is to know. But number two, because they want to help that younger Christian um, grow in their own understanding of God's word. What's the marker of a genuine, mature Christian? It's knowledge expressed through love. So there's some groundwork before he actually tackles the issue. And so, um, so here's the case study, okay? Now he gets back to the actual topic, food sacrificed to idols. And just to make sure, um, you know, this love is not just a knowledgeless love, he starts in verse 4 with knowledge. So come with me, chapter 8 and verse 4. He says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom exist and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Um, Paul wants to say yes. You know, I agree with you, the statement that an idol is nothing. You know, it's just something that someone has fashioned out of a piece of wood, perhaps. So if um, Sinoj, our, you know, resident woodworker, he gets his Ryobi tools and he creates a statue out of Tasmanian oak, you know, the thing that he creates, it's, it's a statue, it's a clump of wood, it has no power, it has no value, um, it's just a, maybe a decoration that sits in the house, it's nothing. And yet, Paul also says in verse 5, he says, okay, yes, there, there is no real existence with an idol, but verse 5, there are so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and there are many lords. So what's he saying? He's saying, on the one hand, an idol is nothing, and yet an idol is something that exists in the hearts and the minds of people. And so that's why in our Old Testament reading, you know, the, the grave sin of, of King Omri, it, was, it wasn't, um, you know, that he was greedy with lots of money. It was idol worship. The, the worship of something that is nothing but is something. Um, for, for us, 
you know, the same thing is with money. So this is a $20 note and it's a piece of plastic. It's got the number 20 on it. It's got some faces on it. It got spat out of a uh, printing machine. So this piece of plastic, it's, it's nothing. And yet Paul's saying that in the hearts and minds of people, they live to accumulate this piece of plastic. And in fact, their whole life starts to then revolve around this piece of plastic to the point where actually this piece of nothing becomes for them a functional God. So do you see his sort of point? I agree with you, the idols are nothing. And yet they can possess the power to have very, very real existence and capture the hearts and the imaginations of people. And so this is what happens for some people in the Corinthian church. And now he kind of paints the scenario. So um, come with me as we look at the scenario in verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So here's the scenario. Um, a Christian brother or sister, and let's call her Sophia, um, you know, she, she um, be, has become a Christian, thank the Lord, you know, two ways to live, and she got converted. But um, because of her um, connection with um, previous idol and pagan religion, um, you know, her, her conscience, that inner moral referee, you know, it still tells her that eating the food sacrificed to idols is actually a sin, even though it's, it's nothing. For her, her conscience tells her that it is a sin. Now, it's never, it's not that Sophia has never been told the fact that idols don't exist. Um, that language that Paul uses there, former association, it, it's, um, it's a word which implies, you know, like um, accustomed to or strong habits. You know how you um, do something for a long period of time and it's very hard to, to disconnect from that. So, um, you know, this is a little bit gross, but if you have a look at my thumbs, I've had this habit since I was 15 of picking the corner of my thumb like that. And it's people say, don't do that. It's going to make your thumbs unattractive. Um, but it's very hard to stop that habit that I formed. And so Paul's saying that, um, yes, Sophia has um, accepted the wonderful gospel, but because of all those years of pagan religion, and food idolatry, then for her to sort of disentangle those things, it's very difficult, takes a long time. So at this particular point, for her to eat food sacrificed to idols in her conscience is still, it's still wrong, it's still evil. Um, similar um, sort of to maybe someone who's been addicted to alcohol in a previous lifetime. 
You know, there's many years of alcohol addiction, the hurt it's caused, the pain it's done to relationships. Um, even if you become a Christian, it's very hard to then dis disentangle those feelings towards alcohol. And so you can understand why then um, that person viewing alcohol, that you can understand why they might see that as a sin, even though um, there is a weakness in that thinking, but that's where they're at at that particular point in time. The issue comes to a head when in verse 10, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. So, so let's go back to our scenario. Let's say Sophia, um, she's doing her couch to 5K and she, she passes the pagan temple and um, lo and behold, who does she see? But she sees um, the mature, wise and godly song leader, Andrew Louie, and he's there with with his wife, Michelle, and kids, and they're chomping down on the temple snack pack, having a good time. And Paul's point is this, that at that moment, when Sophia sees this mature, knowledgeable Christian um, eating this food, which is, it doesn't have any bearing on his commendation before God, but for Sophia, she would be encouraged at that point in her conscience to do something which she believes is wrong and so it will bring about all those associated feelings of guilt and shame and confusion but for her it's still a sin now just keep in mind that there's a very specific focus in this passage the focus is on Andrew Louis, or the, the knowledgeable Christian at this point. It, it, and this, this kind of food offered to idols issue, it's not an issue for him, but and yet the onus is on him um, to not be a stumbling block to someone like Sophia. And so Paul's advice and wisdom is, is that if you're going to cause um, someone like that in their weak conscience to go against their conscience, then that's a serious matter that's not just a light matter it's sinning against not just Sophia but against Christ himself now the more I thought about that the more I'm a little bit confused by it and you might be as well um, um, if you had an Olympian coach for example and they had a weightlifting team and one of the members on the weightlifting team was was a was a weak member um, you wouldn't expect the coach to then say, um, you know, don't lift any more than you can lift. You're not going to get anywhere. No, you encourage them to, to lift stronger weights so they can grow in their strength. So why does Paul encourage the knowledgeable Christian not to ask the or encourage the weak-conscienced brother or sister to not transgress? Um, the reason is, again, because for the one with the weak conscience, so um, Sophia in our example, in her own conscience, she believes that it is an evil. It's still a sin. And so encouraging her 
to do that which he thinks is wrong, is evil, is a sin, is actually doing her conscience great damage. Uh, the hope is that over time, Sophia will grow in her conscience to see that she doesn't need to feel that way. But at that point in time, if her conscience says that this particular issue is a sin, then the knowledgeable Christian, the Andrew Louis amongst us, our responsibility at that point is to not cause them to transgress their conscience. Um, I remember when I first got my uh, driver's license and my parents are online. This is, this is probably not helpful, but um, uh, I was uh, driving once with some friends in the car and they were egging me on to go faster and faster. And I remember getting up to over 150 Ks. I'm sorry, mum and dad, um, but this I was very young. And I remember even as I was driving, I just felt shame and guilt, like I shouldn't be doing this. And thankfully we all survived, but it could have gone very differently. And Paul's saying it's not so much about peer pressure, it's about um, conscience pressure. Um, you may have the right knowledge on something, but when it comes to loving those with a different conscience, particularly in areas um, where they're a bit gray, like drinking alcohol perhaps, then we aren't to be the ones who pressure people against their conscience. So there you have it. Here is some wisdom from God on the issue of food sacrificed to idols. Um, so um, in summary, he's saying um, actually knowledge of the truth about idols is, is fundamental, but the umbrella that sort of sits over that knowledge as you speak it is, is love. So express that knowledge, but love, um, it's the thing that builds up and doesn't destroy um, and then secondly, he says, um, um, don't transgress or cause or put a possibility of causing someone to overstep or transgress their own conscience. Um, I think a passage like this, um, it, it takes a little bit of thought to figure out how it then plays out in kind of our modern Christian context. And I don't have all the answers here, but um, here are a sort of couple of principles that sort of come out of a text like 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to get you started to how to think about this issue in our modern time. So the first principle that I've got here is um, recognize that God has not made us to live in isolation to one another. Now, I know that's a completely ironic thing to say when we're living in isolation to each other. But the point is this, that Christ has died for his church, for a family. And when you come into the church family, you actually, as the Lord's Supper reminded us, we're connected not just to Jesus, but to each other. And um, this may be a revolutionary thought for some of us, but not everyone in our church family thinks the way that you do on certain issues or thinks the way that I do on certain issues. And that could be, um, some of those things could be fairly trivial, but some of those things could be issues of conscience and disagreements about issues of conscience. 
And Paul says that if God made us to just consume knowledge and grow that way, he could have done that. But the way that he's um, set up the family of Christ, he says that actually the relationships that we're in really matter. And so he wants us to exercise that same love of Christ as we interact and relate with each other. So that's the first principle. The second principle is um, have an awareness of what baggage each of us has when we bring to the Christian faith. So be aware of the baggage that others might be bringing into the Christian faith. Um, uh, because of the focus on this passage, on the, those who have knowledge, can I encourage um, um, those of us who, um, for whom issues, they might not be an issue for you, something like, again, I'll take alcohol as an example, um, but it's important that you and I have a certain sense of awareness about what kind of um, struggle people might have in our congregation. Now, um, you can sort of preempt that a little bit. So I know um, for some people, they have a, a kind of a policy of, I'm just not going to drink alcohol anymore. Okay. And it's not that they think that it's morally evil. It's they, they do it because they think maybe, maybe there's someone around me who, um, particularly a Christian brother or sister who struggles with alcohol consumption, and maybe they've had a history with alcohol, which means that if I drink alcohol in front of them, it's gonna cause them um, temptation perhaps, or they might think that it's an evil that they do that. So some people um, preemptively apply these sorts of principles. You don't have to do that because you're absolutely free in one sense. You know, drinking the alcohol has it doesn't grow you closer to God or take you further away. That's Paul's point. But um, the point is that be aware, at least maybe ask the question if someone that you know, maybe in your growth group or someone that you know at church, a brother and sister, at least ask the question about some of their history with this particular issue. And that will give you some level of awareness to know how to act in love. And if you find out, that they uh, actually causes them to stumble or to sin. And Paul's very clear, don't even go there. Don't even consume the alcohol. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a freedom at the same time. Um, I'll just finish off and I've uh, uh, just one last story. I've, um, a number of years ago when I was uh, maybe, I was a Christian for about two or three years, I, I organized to see a movie do you remember doing those things, going to the movies? And um, I invited some friends and we watched the, um, the Alien. It was an Alien movie from the Alien franchise. And it turns out that there's actually heaps of graphic violence scenes in that movie. And I remember coming out of the movie and, you know, just feeling a little bit almost like guilty that I had sort of encouraged these guys to come watch this movie with me. I asked them afterwards and they were, they said that it didn't, you know, it wasn't an issue for them, but um, you know, it's sometimes it's helpful again to just ask the question, be aware, because there may be people for whom those types of movies and maybe particular types of music as well is actually something they think Christians 
um, shouldn't watch and is not suitable. So it's, it's, um, it's a tricky area, but Paul is starting to give us some of his wisdoms, uh, wisdom about um, love and engaging with people and not just um, giving your knowledgeable opinion. So um, I'm going to ask God to give us that wisdom as we find ourselves in these situations. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for uh, your word to us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we do pray for wisdom um, and thoughtfulness for not every situation we find ourselves in um, is always straightforward. So we pray that um, we would be governed and um, um, compelled by love, the love that you've shown to us. And we pray that we can then show love to our brothers and sisters, um, especially those for whom um, their consciences are still shaped and being formed. So we pray that you'd enable us to do this so we can, again, reflect the wonderful unity that the Lord Jesus has died for in your church family. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.